Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Hello everybody and welcome back. Uh, in this YouTube tutorial I will be showing you how to create a nice uh, roar or scream sounding noise. <laughs> um, it's a really cool sounding noise which you can use in a lot of uh, horror or yeah horror tracks or dubstep tracks or electro tracks if you'd like to. Yeah you can use it <laughs> whatever you want. It's pretty cool sounding so let's take a listen to what it sounds like and I'll and then I will show you how how I made it <laughs> so yeah it's a really nice growl thing like You are listening to Failed State Update. This is your co-host, Joseph L. Flatley, and I am hanging out on Zoom with J.G. Michael. How you doing, J.G.? Pretty good, pretty good. I love that, the name of our show, Failed State Update. It's like, it reminds me of like those old, like, uh, you know, like industrial metal albums that Ministry or like uh, <laughs> Machine Head would come out with. Definitely it has a vibe, and that's why I knew I had to use it. I just didn't know what for for many years. I was like, it's got a ring to it. So what is going on uh, with you? I, I, I guess there's been a slowdown at Field State for a little bit. Me and my family thought we had COVID for, uh, for several days, and I could not get off the couch. So um, we are doing a bonus episode this week with uh, Boys Bible Study, the... Woo-woo! Uh, Oh, hell yeah. They're like, you know, they watch Christian films so we don't have to, basically. Hey, what do you mean they watch Christian films so we don't have to? I love those crazy evangelical movies. They 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 often have, like, some of my favorite actors, like Malcolm McDowell or Ray Wise, and they're often ridiculously cheesy and horrible. That is true, but I think our view is kind of the minority view, perhaps. <laughs> or, or let me say, it's like Siskel and Ebert and a third person. They let us know what to what to watch, what's out there in the greater Christian pop culture industry, because it is an industry and it's huge and it's important now because, you know, with the Christians trying to take over the government and Mike Flynn trying to create a theocracy and stuff. So so what, what what's the bonus episode with them about? It's very pertinent to the failed state community. We watched and reviewed a movie called The Finders, which is a you know, like a low-budget thriller based on the story of the alleged satanic cult called The Finders that kind of sucked into this satanic panic conspiracy theory world when they were just kind of a hippie commune or whatever. It's amazing. It's definitely worth checking out, the movie and the episode. Oh, so so what's going on at uh, Parallax Views, your other podcast? So I've been very, very busy. Uh, I just released a new episode, a triple feature episode, uh, dealing with some stuff that I think would be of interest to our audience. I had uh, Mia Jankovic on from Business Insider to talk about her reporting on kooky anti-vaxxers like Dr. Sherry Tenpenny. She is quite a character. Uh, I also got to speak to Pink Floyd's Roger Waters uh, about the Middle East and his activism in that regard. So that was uh, very fun and wild. <laughs> yeah, man. He's Congratulations. That's that's a get. When we start getting members of Pink Floyd in a on failed state update, I'll know we've really made it. <laughs> so uh, I, I was going to say real quick, too. So I have those episodes out and then uh, I have a few down the pipeline, including uh, a rare interview with uh, Lev Galinkin, who I think is a really good journalist. 
um, uh, spent some time in Ukraine. Uh, he's a mainstream journalist that talks about uh, the issues with the Azov Battalion and the Ukrainian far right. And I'm really excited about that one because I think a lot of people have written off um, the sort of neo-Nazi connections of the Azov Battalion as some kind of, um, oh, it's just a Kremlin talking point or it's uh, it's just tanky propaganda, which it's that's simply not true. There is uh, issues with uh, a growing Ukrainian far right that mainly comes out of uh, Galatia and we're arming and funding them. And this could very easily turn into another uh, sort of situation like where we funded the Mujahideen. At the end of the day, American foreign policy since the Cold War has been all about choosing sides between Nazis and commies, and the Nazis always win. So, you know, the Nazis always get brought into the fold. So that anybody should... It's it's an uncomfortable truth that, you know, people who want to stoke this weird interventionist back and forth between, you know, this, this potential war, which I don't think would ever happen, between the U.S. and Russia over Ukraine, they have a very vested interest in pretending that we don't deal with Nazis. But we deal with Nazis all the fucking time. It doesn't have to be an either or either. It doesn't have to be like, oh, I support everything Putin says now because I'm talking about uh, the Azov Battalion. You know, I mean, uh, Russia does, you know, use propaganda, but a lot of the best propaganda is stuff that is either true or already has a grain of truth in it. So, you know, Russia will point towards uh, our issues with race relations in the United States. That doesn't mean that we don't have real problems with racism in the U.S. Um, you know, same with this Azov Italian. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the best um, propaganda is true, <laughs> you know? It's like, it's like people have to realize that it's like, whichever side it is, they're using these facts as a cudgel, you know, to like make their point. We really got to get over this like whole super black and white perception of geopolitics. The fact of the matter is all countries suck. I don't know. I, I always tell people, I, I feel like Snake Plissken in Escape from New York, when Lee Van Cleef, it's like, we're at war, Plissken. And I, I just feel like Snake's response, you know, which is, I don't give a fuck about your war or your president. S.D. <laughs> <laughs> Plissken, American, Lieutenant, Special Forces Unit, Black Blight, Two Purple Hearts, Leningrad and Siberia. Youngest man to be decorated by the president. He robbed the Federal Reserve Depository. Life sentence. New York Maximum Security Penitentiary. I'm ready to kick your ass out of the world, war hero. Why are we talking? It was an accident. About an hour ago, a small jet went down inside New York City. The president was on board. President of what? That's not funny, Pliskin. You go in. Find the president, bring him out in 24 hours, and you're a free man. 24 hours, huh? I'm making you an offer. Bullshit. Straight, just like I said. I'll think about it. No time. Give me an answer. Get a new president. We're still at war, Pliskin. We need him alive. I don't give a fuck about your war. Or your president. So Jack Brewer, I spoke to him a week or so ago. He is a one of these UFO independent researchers. Jack Brewer to me is like the uh, the new age uh, Jim Mosley of saucer smear. I'll explain that now. Okay, so Jim Mosley of saucer smear uh, sort of dealt with all the feuds within the UFO subculture, and he did it in a very playful sort of. Uh, poking fun at everyone sort of way. And I think the connection there is that like uh, Jack, Jim had a, a sort of more skeptical approach to things in a lot of ways. And I think uh, the UFO community could use a lot more of Jack Brewer or Jim Mosley these days because I feel like skepticism has gone out the window if it was ever there to begin with. Oh, sure. And I mean, and that's kind of what happens when you have these UFOs are a subculture. People are drawn to it because they're in love with the topic, and that attracts a lot of really dedicated people, and it kind of attracts a lot of wingnuts. And dedicated, solid people, wingnuts, and grifters. And grifters, absolutely. Falling occupants of interplanetary craft. Falling occupants 
I started really getting interested in uh, why there were so many intelligence people at these conferences in the community. Uh, you, you didn't see that in the ghost genre or, or other types of um, fringe communities. And it became increasingly apparent to me that uh, a lot of people are interested in UFOs that work at defense agencies and security clearances in their, their line of work. And it, it became apparent that there, there could be a lot of intelligence and counterintelligence games taking place. And so I, I got interested in the history of that. And uh, my book um, looked into NICAP, the National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena. And the name of the book is Wayward Sons, NICAP and the IC. And I actually was surprised at how much information was readily available through the Freedom of Information Act and newspaper clippings. And um, some people helped me out with their personal archives from, from old time uh, UFO material. And I was actually surprised how uh, solid a trail I, I could find that put CIA and State Department interests not only in NICAP, but seemingly even in facilitating the launch of the organization. And NICAP was uh, apparently a UFO investigation outfit and uh, is, is pretty highly respected among some of the uh, more discerning, we might say, members of the UFO subculture, because NICAP at least outlaid an effort to scientifically investigate things. I, I could debate that. I, I think sometimes it was more a side uh, a to deflect criticism than actual scientific research. But the, the premise of my book was that there was uh, just a, a, a great deal of collaborating going on between um, people that were wading into the UFO arena and had one foot in the intelligence community at the same time. And while motives can be difficult to discern with a lot of certainty, it, it's more than apparent that uh, there were layers of agendas and interests among these different people and agencies. And I actually started becoming uh, rather struck by how much it seems to correlate with things we see today as well. I think the UFO group that most people are familiar with is MUFON, Mutual UFO Network. I'm just wondering, what, what year did NICAP form and what year did MUFON form and can you kind of compare and contrast the two groups that might help people understand kind of this world a little more? Sure. Um, NICAP was incorporated in 1956, and it went on to have uh, some 14,000 uh, members that at, at least subscribed to their literature and journal. And that that to date is the largest, most successful group as far as membership, UFO organization. By 1969, NICAP was uh, losing its members and they, there's a whole story there about some people think there was CIA interference, but for whatever reasons, its leadership uh, was being relieved of its positions by its board members. And that was pretty much the functional end of NICAP, but it continued on through the 1970s and was formally disbanded and dissolved finally in 1982 when it 
went, uh, its files were taken by uh, Alan, J. Allen Hynek's um, Center for U uh, Studies, I think it's called CUFOS. And during that time, the 1970s, uh, there more more groups were were building because of um, NICAP's um, uh, problems and was scattered and there were plenty of people interested that needed direction and one of them was uh, I think they were first called the Midwest UFO Network. And as they grew in size and coverage, they became the mutual UFO network and MUFON. And I think you're right that still today, uh, many people identify uh, UFO studies and organization with MUFON. And it, it's had its problems and challenges uh, over the decades. Uh, it does still operate. Uh, and is is probably considered the the still the group to to seek today um, while people might debate its functionality or integrity. So is NICAP like MUFON in the sense that if I spotted something that you know if I spotted a UFO or something I couldn't identify I could call them and they would investigate it. Very much so. Yes, very much so. In a manner of speaking, NICAP was quite functional as compared to some of the later efforts. They had a committee in that was based in Washington, D.C., and then subcommittees that worked on particular projects, like membership drives and, and publishing uh, literature, at least in theory, they were they were usually behind, but that's how it was supposed to work. And then they had subcommittees around the nation and eventually the world and other cities that uh, acted as chapters. So uh, they they could um, farm out reports that they got. They encouraged the public to report to them. And they made pretty impressive connections with police departments, military bases, um, newspapers, and, and reporters to try to facilitate uh, investigation and then releasing public details as, as considered appropriate. And this actually kind of ran them into some trouble, too. What NICAP became most known for was its director, uh, Kehoe. He was known for getting uh, confidential reports from people that allegedly uh, had security clearance and were pilots and people in significant places and the military, and that no doubt contributed a lot to the the problems and the, the sword rattling that NICAP had that defined them with the CIA and the Air Force and their accusations of cover-ups. But the answer to your question, yes, um, NICAP very much acted like a place that um, civilians, the public, uh, anyone could report their sighting and um, hopefully get an investigator and um, some reasonable uh, answers and, and investigation. And in that way, I'm sure or I'm, I'm quite confident some people like Richard Hall that, that worked with NICAP, Gordon Lore. Uh, a number of field investigators they had were very much interested in UFOs and tried to do sincere work. While I think we have some other aspects of the intelligence community that, that launched the organization for other reasons and that people like Richard Hall and Gordon Lore that came later weren't aware of and, and 
as far as the intelligence community goes, I don't think needed to be read into. What was kind of the relationship, as best you could determine, between NICAP and the CIA or NICAP and the FBI? The CIA um, had some agencies that, that I can link to uh, their director of 1947 to 1950, the CIA director was Roscoe Hillencoder. And the most obvious link right there is that uh, Admiral Hillencoder became the uh, chairman of the board for NICAP between 1957 to 1962. So that, you know, right off the bat there, you know, we'd have a lot of people just kind of say, okay, what was that all about? And then it just gets increasingly complex from there. Uh, the original front man for NICAP was T. Townsend Brown, and he dabbled in anti-gravity theory and was was fancied himself a physicist that that was interested in landing uh, contracts with the Department of Defense to conduct his research. And sometime in the early 1950s, he had undertaken a contract, retained a PR group called Council Services. And I, I was, again, surprised at, at how easy it was to link Council Services to uh, an organization uh, that was directly linked to Admiral Hillencoder and gathering CIA intelligence. And there were a number, just the more I looked into it, the, the more it, it unraveled. Uh, one of the uh, council services officers was Thomas O'Keefe, and he was a former State Department deputy director. And one of his uh, duties at the State Department was to sit on a board that selected personnel for foreign service, which I think many of your listeners and today we might recognize as uh, designated spies, you know. And in a contract taken between Council Services and NICAP, he was designated, Thomas O'Keefe was, to... Uh, empowered to select card uh, consultants for NICAP and they would work at his discretion and they would answer directly to him. So I started coming across a lot of red flags like that and a council services even uh, assisted Townsend Brown in incorporating the uh, NICAP Thomas O'Keefe was one of the original incorporators, and I, I'm still working on uh, FOIA requests and getting material that just further solidifies all of those relationships. I think this is an important point, and I want to make sure we understand it. So Council Services was a contractor working for the U.S. government? That's correct. Uh, at one time, I'm not sure they were at the point that they incorporated NICAP, but I can lay that out a little more clearly. Um, in 1949, as CIA director, Roscoe Hillencoder wrote a letter to an agency called the Economic Cooperation Administration the ECA. And in this letter, he thanked its administrator for supplying the CIA with financial intelligence in the past and requested that they up the level of classification from secret to top secret and continue to supply the agency with intelligence. 
Then I located newspaper clippings that within the months and two years following that letter, Council Services was subcontracted to the ECA and worked abroad in China and Europe. And then in 1956, Council Services incorporated NICAP. So what exactly was Council Services' business? Ostensibly, they were a public relations firm. So why is a public relations firm starting a UFO investigator? That's a very good question. They were originally retained by T. Townsend Brown in what he described in a letter that I obtained to assist him in getting funding from the Department of Defense for his anti-gravity research. So he had an existing relationship with them, and then it, it's really not clear why they would continue this relationship and launch a UFO organization and put a State Department man at the involved in it selecting consultants. Yeah, so, so T. Townsend Brown... What was his background exactly? He uh, had taken physics in college. I, I, I'm not sure uh, how much we really should call him a physicist or if he completed his, his degree. As early as in college, he had ideas about anti-gravity and electric currents and tried to get people interested in experiments he did, but professors said that he was just making uh, misidentifications of other known phenomena. And he seemed to really get it stuck in his sights that he had to prove his theories about anti-gravity, and he thought that what he was working on, or at least he claimed he thought what he was working on, could be used for weapons and communications platforms. His, his archives and his family's website... Uh, make reference occasionally to him working in uh, classified or national security intelligence things. Um, I don't know how much of this can be substantiated as compared to part of his mystique, but he did do some work at labs uh, that, that at least supposedly was, was related to anti-gravity research so he was, the answer to your question, his background was he at least presented himself as being involved in um, possible aircraft propulsion or weapons and, and communications uh, applications. He has a really convoluted story of, uh, that, that ties back to what became known as the Philadelphia experiment, where some uh, conspiracy writers later tried to saddle his work with being what launched the whole story of the Philadelphia experiment and the uh, instantaneous movement of a ship, you know, several miles and that whole whole mythology. And interestingly enough, uh, an, a UFO writer that was heavily involved with that, Morris Jessup, was also involved in the original founding of NICAP. So that, that gets pretty complicated there. But, but Brown's background was at least outwardly in scientific investigation and inventor interested in anti-gravity technology. They got involved with council services to help him get funding, and that relationship continued into the incorporation of NICAP. 
So it sounds like he was in that world of government contracting, and like a lot of people in that world had an interest in UFOs. And it's like the world, it becomes blurred. You know, we see this all the time just because somebody was in the military or is in the military or works for a defense contractor. We're supposed to take what they say about UFOs or UAPs now seriously, or we're supposed to, you know, believe them without looking at the obvious conflict of interest with, you know, if you're in the defense industry, why are you making these claims? Do you have an agenda? What else about NICAP, aside from the fact that there are these connections that certainly deserve scrutiny, what would you say it is about NICAP's actual operation that leads you to believe that that it wasn't on the up and up? Well, I could leapfrog right off of your your uh, statements there and say that one of the first things that the group did when uh, Brown uh, Brown worked with them a short period of time and uh, Donald Kehoe quickly took over in early, early 1957 and Kehoe was military too, right? That's correct. He was a pilot, yes. And one of the things that the group did very successfully was assimilate a board of directors and various support boards and advisory committees that were extremely impressive for for men of their day. They had... uh, highly decorated military men, intelligence officials, community leaders. And these men uh, were not bashful in the least about making extraordinary statements about what they believed about UFOs. It, It pretty much set the stage for years to come. And at times is rather remarkable in its lack of supporting evidence that, uh, and again, I think we kind of see that today, that statements are put forth that the supporting evidence, at least not conclusive evidence, is not provided along with it to the press. And uh, there was a, another CIA officer that wasn't as, as well, nearly as well known to be a CIA officer as Hillencoder at the time, a Colonel Joseph Bryan, that, that took up with NICAP and became a staple of the board throughout the 1960s and on into the 1970s, I believe. And he was a a former CIA officer and uh, was adamantly supportive of UFOs as interplanetary spacecraft. And uh, one of the things that struck me as interesting was some of the men in the positions they were, like there, there were... Air Force generals that sat on intelligence boards and and CIA directors involved in this even that would have certainly been aware of some projects uh, that were about radar spoofing and uh, different things, the U-2 program that we now know would have contributed to at least some uh, reports of strange air phenomena, that they didn't back off. With knowing these things, they they continued to stoke the the UFO story. And they also, a, a theme of this group was demanding that classified files be opened about UFOs. And I found this rather extraordinary and still do today that that men and women that were employed in the intelligence agencies would make such demands when they of all people should know that there could be a lot of 
information associated with so-called UFO reports that have nothing to do with UFOs. That seems to be a kind of a constant thread in as far as the government being a lot more active or there being there are actors not necessarily speaking officially for the government that promote UFO stories as a way to obscure real government projects. Is that is that what you feel like the bottom line is NICAP was up to? I think that some of them were. I, I think it's a mixed agenda. As I said, I think there were certainly some people that went to NICAP, were, um, had good intentions and didn't have any suspicions, anything, uh, any deception was going on and were, were sincere. I think Donald Kehoe probably believed he was on to a cover-up I think there was some cover-up. I just don't think it had anything to do with inter- interplanetary spacecraft. And uh, I, I think that some men like Joseph Bryan that, that worked in the Office of Policy Coordination from 1948 to 1952. And that's a CIA. That's correct. CIA and State Department became completely CIA under Director Bedell Smith, Walter Bedell Smith, who, even according to the CIA, had an interest in using UFOs as as a psychological warfare tool. So I think there's a lot of circumstantial evidence there and Uh, I continue to get deeper and deeper in it with uh, some of the economic aid programs that were happening at the time as well, and that seem to have been opportunities for the CIA to distribute funds in Europe. And as as the letter indicates, uh, written by Hillencoder to collect economic and other types of intelligence, and I, I explore that in the book and continue to at my blog, The UFO Trail, as well. Did you uncover links, maybe a parallel operation between NICAP and the FBI? One could could make some interesting... Um, the FBI and NICAP in itself uh, provides interesting areas to research, I, uh, one of the more interesting documents I, I, I got was, okay, I had mentioned that um, Thomas O'Keefe and council services were empowered to hire consultants to help organize and launch NICAP. One of these people seems to have been a, a man named Nicholas DeRochefort who was a psychological warfare expert. He was a Russian-born Frenchman that sought um, American citizenship in 1954. And there were FBI investigations to clear him for work on one project or another pretty much from about 1954 until his death in 1964. He worked on different uh, propaganda projects, was considered good at it in a professional capacity. He was well-connected, just like other people at council services, and uh, the trail for people that the FBI interviewed about him went all the way to the Joint Chiefs of Staff that had a familiarity with him. And he was one of the men brought on to help launch NICAP. So I, I found that extremely interesting. Uh, there's even more about his uh, CIA ties that I go into in my book. But the document that I found perhaps most interesting that I obtained from the FBI was when they were conducting their investigations of him, an agent at the 
Washington field office sent Hoover a letter that was not to be disseminated outside of Hoover's office. It, it contained information from a confidential informant and the information was blacked out uh, on, on the document, but it, it says that it was not to be given to anyone but Hoover. It was obtained under those stipulations in November of 1956, which was right in the heart of when Roquefort was working with NICAP. And I requested a review for further declassification from the FBI, and they conducted one, but they declined to further re further release any of the information on the document. But uh, as far as the FBI and NICAP go, that was one of the things I found interesting. And the FBI had just an ongoing situation with NICAP where on the one hand, the public was writing Director Hoover and asking him, could they trust NICAP? Uh, you know, there was the Red Scare. They were concerned about communist agendas. And he tried to outwardly keep a neutral stance on the organization. And he or his secretary would... Uh, return letters and tell them that, that they didn't um, give appraisals on organizations. It was just their job to investigate crimes and things. And on the other hand, he had NICAP bugging him constantly, wanting to know what's the FBI uh, policy on UFOs. Well, if you don't, don't, and his answer would be, we don't have one. I'm not interested in it. And then they'd find FBI agents at various scenes conducting interviews. And so then it would stir up Kehoe and Richard Hall and his NICAP crew again to bug the director about, well, if you're not interested in UFOs, why are you interviewing these witnesses? And that, I think, Lenny kind of leads us into people either have like UFO tinted glasses or they don't. And I, I tend to think since you come at this a lot from the political standpoint, uh, like I got interested in some journalists that I think got interested in the UFO story in recent years because it started involving like real U.S. defense officers and officials. And so that interested me too. And uh, I, when, when we wear these UFO glasses, we just necessarily think then those FBI agents are there to uh, threaten people, cover it up, uh, find out, you know, what the Martians said, whatever, whatever we want to think. When I can think of, if we take those UFO glasses off, I can think of so many reasons an FBI agent might be interested in why someone would just be coming up with some crazy UFO report or story, or even if they're sincere, well, then what did they really see or who's influencing them? And as we kind of touched on at the beginning, there can be so many opportunities for intelligence and counterintelligence operations going on in uh, these stories of I saw something extraordinary flying near the Air Force base or Air Force officials that are talking off the record should be of interest to the FBI, you know, uh, like it, it's illegal to disclose classified information as well it should be, <laughs> you know. So the Hoover had his hands full with NICAP and the whole UFO mess. So, you know, coming forward to 2022, um, as someone who's been studying this for so long, what do you make of the whole these figures like Lou Elizondo coming out and you know, people with military backgrounds and 
political backgrounds in the case of Harry Reid. Do you see this as, for lack of a better term, a government op? Do you see it as sincere? Like where, what's your kind of expert opinion? I think that like NICAP, there's a lot of layers of agendas. A lot of people are involved for different reasons. If we come right down to the key people like you mentioned, I've come to think we really can't assign a an explanation as much as we can look at do they provide a reasonable amount of evidence to match these statements they're making? And if that's my question, no, I do not think they do. I, I think that uh, Christopher Mellon and Luis Elizondo and To The Stars Academy conducted an impressive public relations campaign. I, I think they uh, did an effective job in getting uh, what connections they, they made and they had at newspapers and media talking about their special interest. I do not think that they have shown to a, a reasonable conclusion that that special interest is of the extraordinary means that they frequently suggest and then have at the same time when it's beneficial said things like nobody's saying aliens when they very much pushed the uh, alien uh, meme or mythology, uh, the, the whole Skinwalker Ranch, um, paranormal, uh, multiple dimensions, whatever we want to call it, they have very much pushed that agenda while uh, not providing anything that would lead us to believe that would be more than a belief that they hold for one reason or another. So while I can't in good faith accuse anyone of uh, particular deception or op operations that are uh, under the table, I feel like I can reasonably look and see that they have not uh, verified their assertions to, to an extent that should be considered acceptable. I think things like that, I think it starts and ends with standards of evidence. And I think that in their PR campaign, they talked a good game, but have not demonstrated the transparency and presentation of evidence that they're demanding of others. So we talk about OSAP that came out of the Pentagon. Um, ben Benowitz affair was, you know, pushed by Naval intelligence. You know, you've talked about the NICAP CIA connection, you know, these disparate government groups kind of indicate to me that, you know, there's not some like Washington master plan of like manipulating the UFO community as much as it's like now something in government's toolbox. Like people are aware that if they want to push an agenda, UFO community is one way to do that. Now do we like have to look forward to a future where every time somebody brings up UFOs, they might be, you know being pushed by the government for, for this one of some agenda or another? That is a, a concerning aspect, and it breeds a lot of paranoia in the UFO subculture. Um, I, I, I don't think you'll be surprised to, to hear, Lenny, the people I know that have been in this uh, a long time I, I think every one of them have had, quote, friends, unquote, that they became suspicious of these person's motives and, and what are they doing and why'd they ask me that and things like that. And it, it certainly breeds. 
I think in the current OSAP and even the the definitely the old NICAP, while there's a lot of mixed agendas, I I'm not convinced that what deception or or lying through omission might be going on that the officers that are carrying it out, I, I think they may believe they are acting in a patriotic way and in, in the public's best interest. And that if we knew what they knew and how they're trapping spies or collecting intelligence or whatever it is that, that their agendas may sometimes be, that, that we would support that. Um, now, uh, you know, that can certainly be argued one way or the other, and I'm sure plenty of people, uh, could cite plenty of reasons the FBI and the CIA, uh, are, are not the most upstanding organizations around themselves. I mean, I, I'm not going to argue that at all. I'm just saying that... I think some of these officers believe they're doing things for the right reasons and that it required uh, manipulating the UFO community along the way or that that was even a byproduct that that they, they didn't really care about one way or the other, inconsequential, you know, collateral damage type of thing. Uh, I, and I think... Sometimes we can cite instances, too, that um, pretty bad people get hired to do what somebody in some office somewhere has decided is a good thing that needs to be done. Like um, George White in MKUltra comes to mind about that, uh, that, you know, was a, a... alcoholic dirty cop you know by all all uh all accounts that that you know and we could think about uh the watergate plumbers and things like that 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 you know you, you need to hire criminals to do criminal work so how often that happens i'm not sure uh, but I, I think what we're kind of working our way around here to the bottom line, as I mentioned, is standards of evidence. And if as a public, we want to believe a certain story or other, we need to make sure that, that the evidence has been presented for public review and it's passed the test, as we found out with weapons of mass destruction and things like that. So Jack talked about NICAP, he talked about the CIA, he talked about Lou Elizondo and uh, OSAP, a lot of uh, acronyms that hopefully the listener could follow along with. What, what, what did you think of the conversation overall? I always think Jack is a pleasure to listen to. I, I think he has a great approach to things. and I'm, I, I need to have him on my own show to talk about uh, The Wayward Sons, the book on NICAP because uh, that's like a whole, you know, a whole kettle of fish uh, in addition to other work he's done in the past. I thought it was really good, though, and I think he raises the right questions. You know, I think a lot of people in the past year or so, including people in the not necessarily UFO media, but like the alt media that have become interested in UFOs have been very unquestioning of, uh, you know, this sudden interest that uh, officials are having in UFOs. There's so much more talk of it, and it's sort of becoming uh, mainstream. Uh, and I, I don't think people are skeptical enough of certain things. For instance, the To the Stars Academy uh, basically trying to do military contracting work when it was really uh, trying to take off. I mean, that should uh, put up some red flags of like, oh, what's going on here? Is this, uh, you know, what, what are they trying to do with this? Yeah, you know, I've, I've done some writing about to the Stars Academy, and I'll drop the link in the show notes. Um, but, you know, kind of what I got, took away from that reporting was just really like, 
never, ever have I seen the sucking up to to Washington, D.C. and to the powers that be that I've seen lately from the UFO community. I think we're seeing a shift, too, in how certain people in the UFO subculture talk about UFOs. A lot of them are talking about, well, this is a defense issue now, uh, which is a far cry from, say, uh, you know, Dan Aykroyd, yes, the Dan Aykroyd from Ghostbusters, who's a big UFO guy, uh, who would talk about, no, the Space Brothers love us. Now UFO people are often talking about it in terms of, well, this is a defense issue, and that's why we have to take it seriously. It's not all, uh, oh, the good Space Brothers anymore. I definitely think a lot of people in this community just love, just want to feel heard <laughs> and want to, you know, and like, you know, love the military and love people telling them that you're important. And yes, um, this is an important defense issue. It's like a, a weird ego stroking thing. While listening to your discussion with Jack, the whole time I was thinking of um, Andrew Coburn, who's a really great journalist, right? Uh, part of the, the Coburn clan, I should say, you know, with Alexander and, and Leslie and uh, Patrick. Um, and, and, you know, they've done some great work over the years. And Andrew's latest work has been with the uh, uh, Harper's Magazine as the Washington editor. And he's written a lot about uh, the American war machine. His new book is called uh, The Spoils of War. Um, I believe it's Profit, Power, and the American War Machine is the subtitle. But Andrew and I have been talking, and what's really interesting to me is Andrew takes the view that the bottom line uh, these days for – uh, you know, the, the Pentagon, it's not even about empire or imperialism. It's not about foreign policy or defending our freedoms. It's about the bottom line, you know, money, 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 money. And, you know, I, I think about how uh, so much has been made of UFOs in the past year and how, oh, you could use this to justify uh, more defense spending, Pentagon budget spending, keep that money flowing, as Andrew would say. And, I think the issue I've always had with the UFO community is that, you know, the, the intel uh, infiltration and intel sort of uh, influence within the uh, community has been there. I didn't even know until the book Wayward Sons came out, Jack's book, about this whole NICAP CIA connection. Uh, but – I did know about the Paul Benowitz affair, which you mentioned in passing mm -hmm. on the and, episode. And I have to say, I I hate when I do this. It's so easy to misspeak when you're just like blathering on on podcasts. I said that the Benowitz, Benowitz affair involved naval intelligence. It was Air Force it intelligence. Was there, it was AFOSI, so I just want people to, you know, not fact check me on that one. God knows I get enough of it. What I was going to say uh, is that case is so interesting because you had – uh, Air Force intelligence, although they would say, you know, uh, the main player in that, Richard Doty, was a rogue element. Uh, you know, and he I could have been. I mean, I, I, I don't necessarily think that's the case. But that's part of what makes it interesting is it could have been. It can be a bunch of, like, independent actors doing crazy shit influencing this stuff. So it's like, I mean, definitely at some point his... It looks like his scene, you know, the people above him realized what was going on. They must have ratified it. And then when he got embarrassing, they shipped him off to Germany. But like, but who knows? What's so fascinating to me is, you know, you have Richard Doty uh, basically driving Paul Benowitz insane. Benowitz uh, comes to believe that the aliens are coming and, and you know, we're all going to die. You know, it's sort of very apocalyptic uh, to the point where he ends up in a mental hospital. Right. I mean, which you know, mission accomplished because they felt that he was getting uh, too close uh, with regards to this information about uh, military activities and, and bases that they had. Um, and it's interesting to me because Richard Doty has repeatedly resurfaced in the UFO community. That's amazing. And that's so important. I'm glad you brought that up. It's like, it's not like the UFO community realized what was going on and he was sent out into the wilderness he's not persona non grata he goes to conferences and, and everything else it's like i mean talk about a community tailor-made for infiltration they can't even kick someone out who obviously you know is a spook and obviously drove someone nuts and also the work of ufologist william moore is an important part of this because he was getting stuff from 
Air Force intelligence and passing it on. Like what actually happened to Paul Benowitz, this guy who was a UFO researcher and was sent down the path to insanity, quite frankly, by Doty and Air Force intelligence. That's important and that's very wild and people really get caught up on that. But also, you know, Doty and his crew had an undeniable effect in a more subtle way on the rest of the community and in creating this like evil alien myth mythos that took pop culture by storm and really created most of what we would call you you know ufo twitter today well i mean it, it's given us some good things too i mean i always tell people you know if it wasn't for the dose war mythos the dose space mythos we probably wouldn't have uh, games like half-life <laughs> and we wouldn't have the X-Files. I mean, it's like, it is the X-Files. So it's like good, bad, indifferent. The fact of the matter is American culture has been profoundly changed by a couple people tinkering around on this, you know, on this misinformation. And the reason I find it so fascinating is it's what other instances <laughs> has that happened at where we haven't picked up on it yet, you know? It's interesting too, because I think people forget how wild and Wooly, that era of ufology was, right? Like, it, it wasn't just uh, these characters showing up at the MUFON conferences uh, talking about Benowitz and whatnot and, and the Dole Space Wars. I mean, uh, you know, the Al Belix of the world and the people talking about, oh, the Montauk Project and Philadelphia Experiment, they were at the same conferences. It was very wild and wooly. It was the Wild West of ufology. And now I think we're seeing a, an attempt within ufology to say, oh, we're more serious about things. Uh, and, you know, I guess that's sort of uh, why Luis Elizondo has been pushed so much. He's seen as, as oh, this guy must be really credible. But I think uh, people need to be more skeptical. All Hit Radio. All right, you're listening to All Hit Radio, and it's 53 degrees at 13 minutes past the hour. And right now in our All Request line, I've got Mike Ledgerwood on the phone. Hey, babe, what would you like to hear? Hey, babe, I'm sorry, I can't hear you too well. You're going to have to speak a little closer into the phone. Okay, babe, what would you like to hear again? We are observing your Earth. Hey, Mike, I'm sorry, babe, but that's not on our playlist. And by the way, you sound great over the phone. Anyway, if you give us your request, we'll be glad to play it for you, babe. So let's hear it. We are observing your Earth. Oh, uh, listen, Mike, I'm sorry, babe, but we can't... And we'd like to make... I'm sorry, Mike, we... There's... A contact uh, with you... In your mind you have capacities, you know To telepath messages through the vast unknown Please close your eyes and concentrate with every thought you think Upon the recitation we're about to sing Calling occupants of interplanetary craft Calling occupants of interplanetary most extraordinary craft
Transmit thought energy far beyond the norm. 